0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Kane and Rince podcast. This is Volume 12, Issue 565. Today we're going to talk about the computer game Unreal, the original one. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Chris O'Regan. Hello. And John Salmon. Hello. Whose
1: pick for the volume this was? I would do some gnarly noises, but I think it might be
0: culturally inappropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, how was, close they are to I was tempted, cultures. but I thought,
2: no, no, don't, don't do it, Chris. I don't know if
0: there are any quotes out there for the for the show uh, that are based on that language, but um, I couldn't actually make out. I couldn't make out the the particular collection of vowels and consonants that were being uttered, anyway. So um, we shall see. Anyway, Unreal, if you don't know, is not only a graphics engine. It started off as a first-person shooter, kind of sci-fi, bit of fantasy, but mainly sci-fi. It was released on personal computers. And, well, first point of order is to find out uh, why John brought this one to us for volume whatever we're up to. (laughs) 12, I just said it. Volume 12 of the Cana Rinse podcast.
1: Basically... Go for it, it just goes back to, like, I was a big FPS fan in the 90s. I was quite young. So this came out when I was, uh, I guess I would have been 12 going on 13 later that year. Um, I didn't, didn't get my hands on it immediately, but I was very familiar with, like, the Dooms and the Jute Newcombe. And I think Quake was before this, but not massively, like, maybe the year Three or years. so before. Three years.
0: Oh, it was yeah, that much they right? were already up to quake two by the time this came out, and nearly quake three in fact
1: that is true quake three came out the year after this, I think to coincide with um Unreal tournament as well um mm-hmm. but yes yeah, so i was I was kind of very keen on on these sorts of games, and it's just honestly um it's just something that I played a lot at the time, and I was very very immersed in um like I say not quite in nineteen ninety eight but a few years later um and honestly, we were just sort of talking about um you know talking about picks and stuff for the year and i almost feel like i've gone through some of the really really obvious ones for me like some of my absolute favorite games i'm mm. not sure if anybody else would pick and i was just kind of trying to think about what to what to throw up for this year and it's one of these games where i have been meaning to replay it for at this point probably more than 20 years since the last time that i actually played it and yeah. i've always wanted to play the um the expansion pack as well which i've owned forever and never actually played and mm. then it's just one of those things that I thought I'd stick it on the list because it will give me a chance to get yeah. to chat about my love for 90s PC games and that sort of thing, um, and also
0: give me a good opportunity for a replay. So I guess that's probably about as good as I needed. Yeah. No, and here we are. And I think uh, the sort of the context is, is possibly going to be quite vital for this mm, one, given definitely. that uh, you, you played it first at the time. I think Chris did as well to an extent, but also you were 12 or 13 years yeah. old. Yeah. And um, and yes, I, I've come to it a lot more recently and this may be reflected in our responses to the game. Yeah, but I, anyway, Chris, I, I think um, obviously we know you're around gaming at this era, but I, I, I particularly like the fact that um, you've, you're have you one of those collectors who's kept, a, um, I, I guess, an era-appropriate PC upon which to play games like this. I'm very, very jealous of this. Yes. <laughs>
2: um, so my my feeling yeah. of unreal, my history of unreal, is very, very long. I've had an affection for it, but not nearly as emotionally as John appears to, maybe because of my age at the time when i was i think it was more of a you know let's see what this this new kit I've got, all this stuff I've been doing can actually do. That's what mm. it feels like and yes, yeah. yeah. and that's and you know and the, you know, definitely in definitely a case of you know I've got, to, I've got to justify you know the the mortgage kind of expenditure of what i'm putting into this bloody computer just to uh play these games and uh unreal was at the at the zenith of it and there's a bit of a white hot of technology at the time so that's where i equate it that's why mm. when i think of unreal and i th- again i still have the same cd i bought back then to this day the box is long gone no space for it oh, but the same. cd the cds have been
1: kept if you want to get rid um, of any boxes, Chris, we can talk about it off the podcast. I'm, I'm sure, building but quite a solid collection of
2: I'm them. I'm sad to say that they're all gone.
0: So. Pulped. Damn. I also had a Windows ME PC, my first ever PC in, I think it was '99, I bought it. Uh, I was absolutely desperate to play Half-Life, really, was yeah. the, the main reason, and Championship Manager um, of the era, were my two kind of most desired items, and also... I needed to stop just only having my Dreamcast to browse the web with. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, got a, I got a promotion around the time and shelled out for a PC, probably went to Dixon's and um, I can't remember the specs exactly, but it was it was all right. It was decent for the time. It was a thousand quid for which at the time was, you know, what you spent to buy a, a PC, obviously adjusted for inflation. It's probably the equivalent of two grand plus now. Um it was uh, all I remember. Specs wise, was that it was uh, 800 megahertz, but I can't remember what Pentium it was or anything like that. Anyway, it ran games well. It 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 ran Half Life and uh, Deus Ex and uh, Black and White and all kinds of games that were around at the time. What more could you need? Well, weirdly, I don't remember particularly lusting after Unreal. Now, I think I think my PC would have run it okay. Um, I have a vague recollection of reading the review in Edge uh, where they gave it an 8 out of 10 and thinking, uh, remember them kind of talking more about the, the visual side than the than the gameplay side. Mm-hmm. I think they said it was, you know, kind of solid, but uh, but it was really as much as anything, a kind of demonstration of, of Epic's tech, um, which, of course, has come to bear fruit in no uncertain terms over the, the following near quarter of a century now. But yes, um I didn't uh I didn't play it at any stage in the next yeah, twenty four years or whatever, uh, for whatever reason. They gave it away on various gaming platforms a few years ago. I added it to my library on good old games, I think, and Steam. It was about five years ago, I think. Um yeah, I and think
1: then you put it on Steam for like some insultingly low price at that sure. time, like sixty eight P or something. You'd get
0: yeah, and I'm, i expect they did like big Unreal bundles for crazy, yeah, crazy but prices, all, but all the tournaments and stuff chucked in as well. Yeah, uh, but then just before we announced this volume of shows, but after I, after John had nominated and and I'd found a slot for it, uh, Epic delisted all of all of its Unreal games, uh, so you can no longer buy them. Of course, there are other ways to play them, and like us, you may have already had them in your library, whether it's an original disc like Chris or. Probably more likely a, a Steam or good old games copy or something like that. Um, but it possibly does reflect why we haven't had a huge amount of correspondence for this show. Because, yeah, you can't actually buy the games now. Um, and yeah, by sheer coincidence, that happened almost the exact time we, we announced it. But anyway, hopefully this podcast can act as a bit of a uh, an addendum to the history of the game. Uh, I've played it over the last few weeks on a current p c um I played it at various resolutions, so I did play it at the four by three aspect ratio just to see, but also uh boosted it up to the maximum resolution the game allows, which is some odd uh <laughs> in set of integers but um yeah, and obviously it runs uh, my p c is ten years old and has a five year five year old graphics card but uh, it can run Unreal okay, thank you very much, at ultra settings or whatever. Um, I didn't have any technical issues whatsoever, as as far as I can recall. And, yeah, played it through in, in 20 hours uh, with help of some guides at various points because, yeah, some of those levels, right? Mm. Uh, we'll talk about that. Anyway, yes, Epic Mega Games, perhaps uh, best known from gamers of a certain era for the Gears of War series. But right now, they're probably most famous for having a storefront and having a game called un, uh, <laughs> Unreal, that's what we're talking about, and a game called Fortnite, which one or two of you may have heard of, especially if you've got kids. Uh, it was uh, a joint development, actually, with Digital Extremes and was mostly funded with the proceeds from the highly successful Epic Pinball, Epic's best-selling shareware game. Pinball begat sci-fi FPS. GT Interactive published the game in America. Uh, MacSoft on the Mac, as they so often did. Infograms in Europe, the French label, long since absorbed into something else, I suspect. I can't remember. (laughs) And uh, and Novitas, maybe that was South America. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, the designers, James Schmaltz, Cliff Bleszinski, with Tim Sweeney coding, along with Steve Polge and Eric Denev. It was released on Windows for PC May 1998, as was often the case for the time. Via Moby Games, violence was reduced for the German version of Unreal so they could sell it, or at least sell it without uh, a brown wrapper and under-the-counter business. The reduced gore option is missing from the menus. Enemies simply disappear instead of being jibbed, and severed heads also vanish instead of flying through the air. Most notable changes... Our changes to the opening level corpses and bloodstains were removed as well as background sound effects and scripted fight scenes drastically changing the game's atmosphere some pain screens and similar background sound effects are also missing in later levels The Mac version arrived in September in fact uh, and the game was released at an RRP for those who were, were buying those big box versions and not pirating it for $38 which adjusted for inflation is the equivalent of $70 which is around about how much a video game costs. The reason the jewel case is so prominently displayed in that box design is because there were four different jewel case cover designs, all of them screenshots, and this was a clever way to show off the game's graphic superiority.
1: Yeah, this is very famously also the um I can't remember what magazine it is, but the cover with the the big picture of a, a scar warrior or something and it says like this is actually an in-game um That's it. screenshot. Yeah. And that's supposed to have famously been the first time that they put an actual screenshot on the cover instead of some sort of a mock-up. Yeah, But they were clearly very, very proud of the screenshots and
0: stuff. Without having direct examples, I have a feeling that isn't quite true, but it was certainly a prominent example. And of course... It is one of the, it, it's kind of a bullshot in the sense that it's not a shot that you could accurately recreate. Not really.
1: It's like a level editor, like camera kind that someone's thing. moved down yeah. to the ground yeah. and looks up at yeah. a monster and stuff like, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, looking at it in 2023, it, it looks really old. <laughs> it's yeah. It's <not> really old. <laughs> it's 25 plus years old. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, at the time, yeah, this is the thing. This yeah. is why context is king. Mm. With the game still in development epic started work on a port for the nintendo 64 dd mark rain stated in an interview that we'll have to get nintendo's approval and everything but we are working on it we're already coding the engine we'll have to reduce the dimensions of the textures so they can be scaled down quite a bit but with the bilinear filtering you can get away with much lower resolution textures and it will look just as good he added that while a port for the standalone N64 would probably be possible, the limited storage space of the cartridge would necessitate heavy compromises to the details on the monsters and a number of unique textures. And a Dreamcast port was also planned, and was in fact demoed for the system's capabilities early in its life cycle, but was cancelled when GT Interactive entered financial struggles. Certainly could have imagined a Dreamcast port. There was famously a Dreamcast port of Half-Life, which was near complete but not yeah. released and obviously the N64 did get quake and it did get uh, its own version of doom and, and various other things but the, uh, the they tended to be yeah somewhat compromised in terms of uh, sort of expansiveness and complexity of levels and yeah, the music uh, would have been a challenge on the N64 as well yeah they they sometimes yeah they would squeeze it into cartridges but yes there would be issues there and of course potential frame rate issues as well and things like that but and the 64 dd obviously ended up not really being a thing outside Mm -hmm. of japan so reviews were really good actually and uh and and again this kind of confuses me as to why i wasn't as as excited about this game as i was about half-life i was just completely obsessed with getting a pc so i could play half-life and unreal was barely a footnote in my mind but cvg gave it a 9 out of 10 got an 8 in edge 8.4 and IGN gave it a 9, PC Gamer 94% and PC Zone gave it 9.3, leaving it with a Game Rankings Aggregate of 89%. In the US, Unreal finished 98 as the year's 13th biggest computer game seller with sales of 291,300 units and revenues of $11 million. And worldwide sales reached 1.5 million copies by November 2002. Who knows what it got up to by years of digital sales from 2004 to 2022. But uh, we know it sold yeah a good, probably couple of million copies. And yes, uh, Tolkien Taters posted on the forum soon after we announced our volume of shows. Haven't played it, but it sucks that Epic removed this from storefronts just before this podcast was announced. And yeah, uh, the new story came out. Uh, PC Gamer ran it in December 2022 and uh yeah epic announced today that it's switching off out of out of date online services and servers for a number of its older games including rock band and unreal uh, as it moves to exclusive support of epic online services um, yeah so talk
1: of them closing the servers for the xbox versions at least of unreal tournament 3 but i don't know if they actually did it. it doesn't mm-hmm. look like the achievements are now not obtainable so well, they apparently they, they were giving away to Unreal
0: Tournament 3 for free and possibly still are but uh but they were saying that there's no yeah there's no online features for it so,
1: so yeah. that game is 15 years old in yeah. a couple of months it's wild that that is as far as i'm aware the last actual unreal game yeah. i guess mm-hmm. they'll you know after fortnite they're probably never going to make another thing that's not fortnite every game no again. exactly
0: Right so what's the deal with I I got to say I didn't used to spend a huge amount of time bathing in the uh, the scenarios of these 90s FPS games like I didn't really care who Doom guy was or why he was there Quake similarly Half-Life was a little bit different because of the the diegetic way in which you became Gordon Freeman and and the world talked to you about it and things like that but this but um really I dived into this game to play it for the show because John had nominated it and I had no clue what was going on or why. Uh, So rather than me read out the wiki, uh, John, as a fan of the game, have you got any idea what's actually going on in it or was that not something that attracted you to
1: it? Uh, No, I I was actually very interested in the story of this, both at the time when I first played it and also kind of still fascinated by it now. Um, It's a little tricky because the vast, vast, vast majority of any actual like storytelling is done through these little logs that you pick up yeah. you often just walk over a corpse or over a book or something and you've got this um, universal bleep, bleep. translator thing. Yeah. It sort of bleeps. You press E and it, it opens up. And on, on what the version that I was playing, I think I probably could have optimized a bit better, but the text was pretty tiny on there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's the, the basic idea is that you're a prisoner on this, on this like prison transport ship that, um, is on its way to a prison and then gets either shot down or just like fails out of orbit and, and crash lands on this planet.
0: Pulled, according to the blurb. Pulled yeah. to an uncharted planet.
1: Okay. I feel like there probably Hysterious. is somewhere later on that talks about what Maybe happened. So. But um yeah, yeah so anyway, you, you crash on this spaceship. Basically everybody else is dead. You don't um you don't ever come across any live humans in the the original game at least. No. Well, um,
2: kind of. I mean there's yeah. one that's kind of alive, and then when me, you touch me, he sort of jerks and then dies.
0: Oh right, okay, well, <laughs> oh, okay, one of them. <laughs> I'd forgotten about him,
2: but yeah, but no, it it, it is quite interesting that I, I did like the little bulletins. I did read them avidly.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you? Not.
2: Yeah, I like them.
1: Um, I mean, maybe they're I all short. Them... They're all like a paragraph at that's most. True. Yeah.
2: And, um, uh, I mean, you get hundreds
1: type... of them by the end of the game, probably, but they're all yeah. fairly short, and they they often talk about. Um, like the people talk about what they're trying to do, what's going on. Lots of them are like the very sort of stereotypical last log of like, I've only got one clip of ammo left and I can mm. hear them at the door outside. And obviously you find they're like jibbed corpse or something. This was weird.
0: before logs like this, either text or audio were completely kind of ubiquitous. So
1: yeah. 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 Like I don't really remember this. You didn't get this in, in Doom or Newcombe. You'd, you'd get like no. a very small amount of exposition, but yeah, exactly. a, actually having like a proper, like, trying to tell a full story, I guess Half-Life is same year as this, maybe released, like, six months after this. Half-Life was... was, was uh, it was 97
0: Half-Life. No, no, it was 98 as well. Yeah, it was would have been within six months either side, yeah.
1: So, I mean, that I feel like that game takes a very different tack because Half-Life is absolutely full of spoken dialogue and Unreal, at least the original, has none. Return to Narpali actually does have... Um, Spoken dialogue and story that 's narrated by your character, which is a bit weird mm. um it 's like the tech in the year between them got good enough that they could include voice acting in it as well um but yeah, so the like the basic idea is you 're trying to trying to get off this crashed spaceship uh, cr- uh, this planet that you 've yeah. crashed on there 's like an indigent um indigent oh, indigent indigenous uh, native population of these creatures called Denali who are kind of. Mm-hmm. They're like humanoid. They are. They have forearms, and they're yep. quite like they're often sort of tattooed. They're, I think, possibly um, could be considered almost a kind of derogatory, like sort of Indian type stereotype, Native
0: American, or yeah, or no, I was East thinking of Indian, uh, Asian Indian, um, okay, with like the
1: language and some of the stuff. They mm, they seem so. very kind of Hindui from like right. my understanding. is
0: that yeah there's I mean the multi-armed thing and the levitation and yeah, yeah there's there's probably some something in that
1: yeah. Yeah, um, there's also a point where you find a couple you go through a couple of their temples and one of them has a huge painting of like their lightning goddess or something and oh, she's yeah. kind of blue skinned and multi-armed she looks very similar oh, G- to some Ganesh-ish. of the the Hindu deities. Right. Um so yeah I feel like that's that's kind of where they come from yeah. but they're also sort of peaceful they um they seem relatively uh passive to the um the other native uh, the other sort of native wildlife and the aliens but basically they they're in the process of being like enslaved and subjugated by these like lizard aliens called the scar who are kind of oh uh, they're like big humanoid reptile guys but they also have um they've got enough technology that they've got um sort of laser weapons and all sorts of uh like force field technology and that sort of stuff in their spaceships yeah. they seem like more advanced than the the humans who are there who are kind of i mean it's it's like a sort of an aliens type story with you know all these kind of military people running about but being wrecked by um by like the technically i guess in the aliens movies they're not advanced but in um
0: well they're sort of in a different way yeah kind it.
1: kind of mm-hmm. like. But, it's more a um, like predator,
2: isn't it, really, than alien. Yeah, and um, actually
1: there are quite a few aliens in this who do mm, look a lot like predators. Some of the mm, large yeah, ve- um variants are very predator like.
0: Yes, and the planet is rich in this pteridium, a mineral, which is uh light blue crystals, and they have this high energy yield, and that's the reason the scarge are there. Uh, yeah,
1: and they've like built mines and facilities that they're um yeah. forcing the gnarly the to kinda of work yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like it's not it's not Shakespeare, but it's it's more than yeah. any sort of story that I got out of previous games to this yeah. that are kind of like you're a, you're a dude just shoot things.
0: That's um, fair. Yeah,
2: yeah. You're just trying to escape. Basically, you you found yourself the, the lone survivor of a of a terrible crash. You think you're a lone survivor, and then you just you leave the uh, leave the, the the crash spaceship, and then. Uh, the, the adventure unfolds from there
0: Indeed, designer Matt from our forum says for me the most memorable things about Unreal were the amazing title sequence and first level which absolutely blew me away at the time, the rest of the game never quite reached that high unfortunately although I did love that weapon that bounced razor blades around corners I was a design student at the time with an iMac in my room, my choice of games were limited but I had Deus Ex, American McGee's Alice and Unreal The first time I fired it up, my friends and I were stunned by that title sequence, with the camera flying through a castle while lightning flashed in a stormy sky. It was so smooth. There were coloured lights, shiny surfaces and water. That first level 2, where you crawled your way out of a dark wrecked starship and stumbled into a bizarre tropical alien planet, made a hell of an impression. In retrospect, it was the graphics tech that impressed us more than the gameplay but I'll always remember Unreal as a glimpse of the future of gaming nonetheless. Sounds similar to your experiences in particular, yeah, John. And and I mean, yeah, absolutely right. A glimpse into the future of gaming is correct um, in, in so many ways. Uh, initially, the game's player character was to be female, but as the number of games with female playable characters increased, the team decided to allow the player to select from a male or female character.
1: There's actually a surprising amount of character presets that you can cycle yeah. through, which is, I guess it's not that strange when you consider that there's like a whole bot match and multiplayer aspect of yeah. it where presumably you can play them. But
0: it the, doesn't, doesn't guarantee that they give those options in the single player, though, by any no, means no. In, in other games. And weirdly, it's, it reminded me a bit of Super Mario 64 in that you... You don't see yourself for a long, long time, and then you walk up to a mirror and it's like, Mm. oh, there I am, (laughs) like hours later.
1: Or or in my case, you just, every time you die, the camera like pulls up to about 10 feet above your head. So you often see yourself. Oh, that's true. Sometimes it's very brief before you like get jibbed jibbed or something, (laughs) fall into some lava. But sometimes you see yourself just kind of clutch your stomach and fall over. Um, But the other thing that is. Sort of slightly more interesting about this is so oh, the version that's now playable and has been for a long, long time I guess is, is Unreal Gold which yeah, is um, the final version. Yeah, it's like one interface that plays both games through and I didn't realise this so I started the original Unreal probably two, two and a half weeks ago picked my character and everything, immediately forgot what I'd chosen. I think I just sort of clicked random a couple of times or something or clicked mm. through. I ended up with a woman who had like a big tattoo or something across her face yeah. And I'd completely forgotten that that's what I'd chosen until when I then finished it and then loaded up Return to Narpali, which is the expansion, it doesn't give you any of the options. It just starts, and it starts with your character talking. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I guess, I guess they had to make t- at least two different voices for this for a, a male and a female character, if not more.
0: Yeah, I mean, you hear, you hear your character's voice quite a bit throughout the game, uh, mainly you know, grunts and efforts mm. and pain and things like that but um yeah not a lot of uh dialogue if any I, the only dialogue is from the, the the planet's indigenous population who say a few things but yeah they have about not, four different voice lines not but sure they're... exactly what yeah actually there is a little bit of scarge banter uh thinking about it there's a couple of scenes where you walk into a room and there's like three of them standing around mm. kind of having I don't know a conversation might be pushing it a bit but um actually but, yeah. is
2: that the scar I don't think it is I think it's the other race
0: the ones this, with the sticks, they yeah, um, they the,
1: the crawl or the crowd or something. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah okay. I think they're supposed to be another, native um, another alien. Yeah, yes. native race on the planet.
0: But they've they're they're in league with the with the bad guys, or they've somehow managed to, um, I think it, convince I, them not to, not to kill them all. Well, to yeah.
1: some extent, I think the implication is they probably you know, wipe the load of them out and then the remaining ones kind of agreed. Because there's one of the right. levels, I think it's the, um, I think it might be the monastery one the, um, where mm. you have to work your way down through it. And like the entire time that you're playing it, at the very beginning of the level, there's about four people who um, have all got little data logger things on them that are talking about one of their crewmates, like a, mm. a female crewmate of theirs who like got further than they did, like escaped when they were getting killed. And then you're constantly reading throughout it like notes yeah. written on prison cell walls and stuff. And some of it's from the gnarly talking about um, helping this woman. And like you eventually, at the end of probably the longest level in the game, you eventually find her corpse like right before the bit where you get on the gondola and leave. Yeah. Um, but there's also, I think that level particularly, the there's like gnarly and stuff in the prison cells, but the, um, the kraal are like the, all the guards and stuff in there. And there's a lot of, um, you see little logs from them. They're talking about the fact that they're also... Like sort of being brutalized by the scar, but they' they're kind of having to go along with it, otherwise they'll end up like the gnarly just in the cells instead so there's a little bit of kind of slightly more nuance there yeah. than just shoot everything that moves sure
0: yeah uh but let's talk about the the graphical side of things, uh, which was arguably the big sell at the time uh obviously first person shooters had hit big, they'd already been big for a good few years since the early 90s and Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and so on. Um, then they moved away from the kind of the 2.5D into the poly- polygonal. Um, and obviously, yeah, I think um, this year was kind of a huge year for both a- advances with in terms of storytelling and world building with Half-Life and also uh, graphical tech in terms of un- uh, Unreal. Um, now, I, I don't want to be just... A miserable downer on this on this show um but as always we only give our, our honest opinions and um i think i'm sure i'm convinced i know that if i'd played unreal in 1998 i would have thought it looked absolutely incredible and from that point of view i may still uh absolutely as you've already spoken john about the way it looks now i think you said chris you find it pretty too but I feel like and, and this is a good reminder for me because I often come on this show and say, oh, my gosh, this game looks amazing or looked amazing. And it's often because I saw it at the time when it was state of the art. But in this case, I'd never even seen this game moving beyond maybe a clip on a YouTube video or something. Probably so, yeah, seen you
1: that know, castle fly by from the opening yeah, or something like exactly. that. Yeah. That was very and, famous and, uh, at the time.
0: And actually, that still looks, you know, it, it does still look smooth and it's sort of an interesting area and the lighting is quite striking but i was actually quite kind of taken aback as to how kind of plain i think this game looks in 2023 how blocky it looks uh it we were at this point we were like 12 years on from some of the early kind of solid polygonal games the the freescape games on on the 8-bit systems that r- ran at like one frame a second so in a way it was incredible that we'd gone from these hyper blocky simple environments to this these these environments that if depending on your pc could run at 60 frames a second or whatever with colored lighting and water running and all this stuff and yeah i played quake 3 on my dreamcast at around this same time and i and i thought it was it looked fantastic you know so smooth and bright and colorful but i have to say yeah coming to this now i'm afraid that i found that any graphic appeal was basically gone like it it didn't look good to me in any way the only thing that kind of stood out to me was that were, were those lights but it almost they looked so separate to the environment that it almost looked like it was like some kind of weird modern mod patch or something mm-hmm. like that, where somebody had stuck on like amazing HDR lighting onto this really ancient-looking blocky um, retro FPS. But that I'm only saying this because, well, because a that was my experience, but also because somebody may decide to play this on the back of this show, and I just want people to bear in mind that I'm while you'd much rather hear. John and Chris going, oh, my God, it looked amazing in 1998. Your, your experience may vary if you haven't played it contemporaneously. So let's go back to John and Chris saying why, why it looked so good at the time.
2: Uh, if I may, um, I completely agree with what Leon mm. just said. Um, it doesn't hold up visually right now. It's, it's bereft of any curves, of, any, of just none, <laughs> just no curved surfaces whatsoever. And that's very jarring, pun intended. Um and uh it is difficult to I mean it's also help you know, in order to uh, interact with things, you simply move on them and they sort of, then they clonk and then they a switch, they, for they example, switch, pushing a switch yeah. And, yeah. Pushing a switch and it's it just pushes, then it there's a, presses into the wall and then things open and what have you. That's all
0: it's if you can find yeah, it.
2: If you can find it, which we'll talk about mm. later.
1: And if you didn't accidentally press the switch twice because you didn't realise it. Oh, god, oh, so yeah. Like the door's yeah. closed oh, yeah. again. Yeah. That all happened the- a lot, but that's not the- visual.
2: No, or the door's opening on you and then closing because you were standing in front of them. Mm-hmm. All of that. All of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, uh, going back to the visuals, lighting yeah. is still very um, important to see now. Oh, this is where this all came from. Yes. That's where it all came from. Yeah. The Obviously, of lighting. course,
0: we, we we sort of now had a um, another paradigm shift into uh, global illumination and ray tracing and things like that. So in a way, this was the start of the last generation of baked-in lighting, right, which yeah. is something that the industry is actually moving away from at this point, um, but not in all cases because it RTX and global illumination still has a massive performance cost. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. It, of course, led from here to the, the kind of baked in lighting that we've seen over the last, what, 20 years. Yeah.
2: And, um, the animation I want to talk about is it's, it you know, it was definitely a leap forward. Mm. What we, you definitely saw them do things, uh, and, uh, pirouette and dance around and jump and jump leap. out the way. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jump out the way endlessly. endlessly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Um, with your teeth there, but uh, yeah, uh, that we can't take that away from the game either. I do think that was very, very impressive. The um, yeah, enemy animation and stuff is good, but um, what was wasn't great was um, just the angles, but also the weapons. They hadn't quite got the weapon fire yet. Halo hadn't mm-hmm. yet, yet arrived. Halo was two, three, three years away. Um, Half Life was a little bit better. With its weapons, but it still felt like a floating stick in front of you that emitted things, mm. um, and uh, it didn't. It, it got, if anything, it got slightly worse with the expansion because you get new weapons and that, and mm. they're, they're actually even even worse. Um, so, but I mean, <sighs> so that's that's why my get negative on on things. It generally felt very very doom like in that regard. They didn't Really like, figured that out yeah
1: i'm i'm actually not going to massively disagree with with either of what you've said um also like i think that this was probably a massive showcase in yeah. in its oh, day i mean unquestionably clearly from all of the re- reviews that are mostly talking about the graphics and stuff yeah. over everything else like um but yeah there's i think in my head there's a little bit of it where every time that i play unreal I wish it looked more like the first Unreal Tournament which came out the next year like right they're very very similar in a lot of ways I think it's notable that they basically have exactly the same weapon sets maybe Unreal Tournament adds in a couple of extra things on top of it but they basically use that same um that same suite of weapons that you get here except when you play this game they all look kind of muddy and like very much less well-defined versions of of what they end up being. I think the flat cannon in particular, it doesn't have the same it like it in the um unreal tournament version. It's kind of squatter. It's more obvious what you're looking at. You can see like the the thing where it loads the slug into it and it like shoots forwards and you see like the internals of the gun moving and stuff. Oh yeah, like here and partly I think because. I actually probably played more quite a lot of Unreal Tournament before I actually came to this. I always kind of felt like this was a slightly downgraded version mm-hmm. and the same with like the character models like the human characters and some of the aliens and stuff. They just look very much more kind of blurry and yeah. Like it, it's just not quite the same game and I think that's you know I would agree nowadays um we, with another 25 years of experience behind me that yes, the things here do not look as impressive as they did and also i'm not <laughs> sure whether it's the fact that i played this on steam with a version which may or may not have been patched to a full degree it certainly didn't have any mods or anything running in it but i was also playing it you know at wide on widescreen monitor not a not like a nice crt or anything like that and i think there were there were various bits of it that some of the lighting looked really out of place um like some of the lights looked like totally Kind of separate entities to the world, especially when they were moving and stuff.
0: Yeah, that um, is possibly a a result of of modern screens rather yeah. than anything. I wonder if on a CRT they would look more embedded and, and and part of the world. I'm I'm not certain about that. the The issue I found as regards to lighting, slightly separate issue, was the fact that even if I pulled the gamma all the way up in the settings, uh, the the blacks were absolutely crushed, and I had to switch. Uh, f- fortunately, I, I recently got a new monitor which has a dedicated FPS setting, and for some reason, that elevates even the the base, uh, the base gamma to something that where I I could see. I totally get that they wanted a lot of the levels to remain dark because mm. they they want you to use this resource, which is flares, yeah, and also your flashlight, which runs out, and later a searchlight, which runs out much more slowly, yeah. massively, but um there were points where even in what were supposedly light areas i could barely see doors or anything like that and and obviously that's kind of not so much a game issue as a a general tech issue but yeah it was a it was a pain for a while until i found that that nice setting on my new monitor
1: yeah it it might be my memory of it looking much smoother on a crt i mean a lot of the screenshots and stuff that i've seen the crt 4x3 does look nicer like the um the size of the like the weapon boxes and stuff the ammo counters and the um yeah. the numbers and stuff next to your armor uh, you can change all that bars. by
0: tweaking the resolution i guess even on a modern screen I, I as i say i did try it in various uh various resolutions and kind of in the end found one that i i felt you mm. know everything was legible but it did it does also affect like the the size and positioning of of the the he, heads up display and ui and things like that yeah So there is a certain, and no doubt there are mods out there for this game that I didn't investigate. I just played it as was.
1: Um, Yeah, I uh, imagine people have made like high sort of graphical fidelity mods. I mean, the one thing that I saw. Yeah, texture mods
0: would be great because the the, the outdoor areas of this are so plain. Like there's just nothing going on at all.
1: Yeah, it's just an awful lot of very similar floor textures. And, you know, I talk about enjoying that waterfall and some of the vistas and stuff. But it is a little bit like you look down at it and you just see like the little tiles of water that all repeat constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, that's just a technical limitation. And I remember having that exact same thing playing Half-Life 2 on the Xbox, what, six years later than this? Seven years later than this? Yeah, and looking, looking out at some water from up on a cliff and thinking, man, I can see, I can just see all the squares of the water down there. <laughs> like, the tide
0: kind of moving in multiple places. The Unreal Engine, according to Mobi Games, had a unique feature. It could render using DirectX, OpenGL and software mode. It even included support for 3DFX glide drivers. Most 3D engines before and since only support DirectX or OpenGL, but not both. It took four years to design. It had several features that weren't included in the Quake 2 engine, such as volumetric lighting, an effect for generating folk, fog, smoke or plasma. It was used to great effect for obscuring the view. Dynamic lighting, a real time render of colored lights. You could mix colored light sources to produce other colors. You could also see moving shadows. Yeah, this is all stuff that subsequent iterations of the Unreal Engine have helped to n- normalize and, I mean, not quite perfect, but yeah, I mean, these are the, the irony is that all these innovations of the Unreal Engine have been absolutely key to the development of graphics over the subsequent 20 years plus and now the reason to me that unreal looks so ancient is because of what unreal (laughs) invented what unreal brought to the table so if you come off the back of playing a brand new triple a title for a pc or one of the the premium consoles you're just it's just worlds and worlds apart and 20 years of of evolution. But it's also I also think it means it's it's quite a good way because I think it is easy sometimes to think graphics have really slowed down in, you know, how much how good they are. But if you go back one generation and then two generations and then three generations, you go, "Oh my god, actually graphics have come on quite a long way. It's just not quite as stark as it was when we went from, you know, Super Nintendo to PlayStation or whatever." Anything more on the graphics before we move on, Chris? Only in that I really
2: think they did a wonderful job with the skybox and the okay. and the creatures that are inhabiting the sky itself. Mm. I found booty it, birds, floaty birds squawking away. Not the ones that try to chew your face off. Not
1: those. Yeah, they're annoying. The, they're flies <laughs> in some the, of those the, early yeah. levels as well. The giant horse yeah. fly things.
2: Yeah, but uh, the um, oh god, yeah, those things. But um, no, the, uh, the, the 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 hawk-like creatures. Mm. and mm. they, they they're crying out a lot They they are yeah. well building yeah and uh, we're mm. about to head into the audio but uh mm. they're an important part of that yeah i like that
0: yeah. nice nice touch uh yeah the audio um what's to be said well squawking birds so that so yeah environmental noises obviously crucially in a in an fps you want uh, weapons that sound uh, satisfying and meaty, mm. and I think for me this is one of the areas where the game doesn't excel exactly. Uh, it's it's not the worst that I've ever played in that respect, but uh, the sound effects in the game perhaps could have been a bit more oomphy and interesting. I it, it has that sound to me, and I don't know whether it was this was a result of audio being compressed or whatever, but but both the music and the uh, and the sound effects sound like they were kind of not 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 super low fidelity but not very not extremely dynamic with not loads of range to them if you see what i mean
1: i feel like the the weapons kind of strike a weird balance because i think that there are some that sound really good i really like the um the shock rifle uh like the the fire sound that that makes but yeah then like the sniper rifle doesn't sound particularly strong or punchy. The the mini sounds abysmal. It sounds like a load of caps going off or something. <laughs> um, and the the rocket launcher, I I like a lot of the the sort of the noises from it. I like the little as it sort of loads the rockets up. I think the you know we'll probably talk about this more with the actual weapons themselves. But yeah, I think I think it kind of toes this line where some of them are are pretty good, but some of them do not feel. Like there's no sort of really nice shotgun sounds or anything like that, despite the game arguably mm. having what three different shotguns or something in it right. um but yeah, it's I don't know, like the music also was very kind of it sort of kicks in a lot and it builds up, and you do get this yeah it's like got somearies good to sort of combat music in places um also quite notable, I think that there were a lot of points where I'd kind of I'd be in the middle of some combat or something and something would go wrong and I'd like reload a save and the save would have only been like 30 seconds before but the music the combat music's not playing when you reload the saves. Okay. So I found a few things like that that were a little bit kind of jarring but in general I think that there's there's quite a few tracks and quite a lot of them are um but like very specifically uh, tailored around the areas that they're in you definitely notice more kind of industrial uh industrial sounds and stuff in the um in like the spaceship levels and the, the sort of the on the planet levels in the, in the little sort of gnarly encampments and stuff, you get a a sort of a more pastoral type music. Um, Yeah. But there's also, you know, there's a lot of the kind of unreal tournament sort of uh, like electronic sort of pumping fight music, which I've always enjoyed it. And I think again, it's like a nostalgia thing where, Mm. you know, I will never forget the main theme for unreal, like the, loading up the menus and the the castle fly by and stuff i think there's some there's some really sort of iconic music there for for me personally um and yeah playing through the game i did enjoy quite a lot of the music but it's difficult to remember specifics beyond a couple of pieces
0: yeah yeah i would agree uh, i mean i certainly as i say i have no nostalgia for this game mm. but the sound of the music was nostalgic in itself because it sounded so much like 90s computer game music (laughs) and and i enjoyed it for that for that reason um it it was because sometimes going back and listening to exact things from your past Mm -hmm. only evokes certain feelings but something which evokes a feeling of the past without a specific can be more evocative in some ways because you don't have those very yeah specific memories tied to them so in this case it just gave me that nice yeah i could imagine this coming on In 1998, and me going, oh, this this is excellent. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm kind of going, yeah, this sounds like it's from quarter of a century ago and is quite cool. Chris, where do you sit with the audio side of this game?
2: Well, again, I was playing it on period hardware, including the sound card, which I think, oh yeah, was an All sixty four (laughs) Gold.
0: Means nothing to me.
2: Creative (laughs) Labs, and that was um, oh yeah, so it was kind of a high sort of profile sound card at the time, and. I think I probably might have got a better deal because of that, because mm. you got that kind of the design for that output, and mm-hmm. it. I've, I was really, really impressed with a lot of the things. The directional sound was really incredible. I felt knew exactly mm. what was going on, where the. I really loved the dynamic music sound and the score. I and the, yes, the, the, a lot of the tunes very iconic because. I loved Unreal Tournament, and they took a lot of the music from Unreal, inserted it into Unreal Tournament, remixed it. In fact, they kept on remixing those same tunes over the years up to mm. Unreal Tournament yeah. Three. So it's these are very important tunes, and they still now we're talking about it. It's rattling through my head right now. The main theme. Um, it's yes, it's very cliched. It's very 90s. And that's why we like that. You know, it's yeah. it's it's. The, I think a very, very rich tapestry of sound is what you get with Unreal. And it's not talked about nearly enough because the visuals overtake things. But really, I want to put this, it is very, very impressive. And that's the one thing that really struck me. And again, I was playing it on a machine from that era and I did it again, you know, and uh, it's really, I was just absolutely blown away by what I heard. So it's definitely a um, bit of a champion, a bit of a um, something to be recognized as something that really pushed things forward in terms of sound design. So don't let anyone take that away from Unreal. Yes. So, yeah, big, big thumbs up from me.
0: Again, I was using
2: uh, old hardware, so I might have got a different experience from you two, but uh, I was really impressed with it.
0: Composers were Alexander Brandon, Michiel Van den Bosch, Andrew G. Sager, and Dan Gardapé. While many game companies went from FM synthesis to uh, or General MIDI in the early 90s to enhance CD audio and pre-rendered audio, many of the Epic games used the less common system of module music composed with a tracker, which used stored PCM sound samples of musical instruments sequenced together to produce music. Equip- Epic had been using this tech for other games such as Jazz Jackrabbit and One Must Fall 2097, which allowed relatively rich music to be stored in files usually smaller than 1 meg. I think the whole install for Unreal is 480 meg, which would have been pretty big for the time, nearly half a gig, but obviously tiny by today's standards. This technology allowed easy implementation of dynamic music for mood changes in Unreal, Unreal's music engine also supports CD audio. The game also made use of the Aureal 3D technology, as referenced by Chris there. So, yeah, again, pioneering in a lot of ways. Uh, thanks to Wiki for some of that information. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into the game. So uh, controls. Well, it should be a brief one because there's probably really only one or one and a half options. But this being a personal computer game only from the era. Uh I don't know about you guys, but I played this with mouse and keyboard uh WASD classic yep. first person shooter controls. One hundred percent. Is there even the opportunity to not do that? Maybe keys yes. only?
1: There's no, no. A joystick because there's some sort of joystick that was tied oh, okay. into it.
0: Yeah. Whoa.
2: You can use the joypad.
1: I've I've never
2: done it, but Oh, uh, the
0: gravis, okay. Yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea, I've got oh, to be honest. Well, like Yeah. Pre pre twin analog sticks, uh, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't yeah. sound wise yeah. to me. Um, and it, I haven't played an FPS with mouse and keyboard for a while because um, you know I tend to play these games sitting down on my big telly these days. But yeah, it, you know, it's like putting on an old comfy pair of t- uh, trousers that perhaps don't fit as well once as once they quite did. But also, you know, mouse aiming is probably still never going to be kind of bettered other than eye aiming The so
1: thing that i've just found the panther xl mad cats joystick and trackball wow. combination oh specifically joystick and trackball made for first person okay. shooters like quake and right.
0: unreal sure okay but that's an unofficial yeah. kind of yeah yeah right but still that was an option it was yeah i i didn't explore the options in in the game beyond just making sure that my key mappings were fairly much to my liking um it defaults to the I think the mouse uh, the mouse wheel, um, which I don't know was a default option, but certainly the mouse wheel let me roll weapons up and down. Um, yeah, and then other than that, the only control I had issues with, and I probably should have remapped, is the using the square brackets to select through your inventory, um, which was just you know like not my fingers were not over those keys, so mm. I had to I had to move my hand around to select between. You know, whatever the the flares and the flower seeds and the other bits and bobs that you have to select, but it wasn't a big wasn't a big deal. Um, but yeah, and of course, you know, if the game runs at a fast frame rate, then it controls well on mouse and keyboard, right?
2: Yeah, I just want to point out what I put up with on.
0: I'm not sure <laughs> is it default? With. Yeah,
2: yeah, because I say put up with because this is at a time when mouse look was new mm. and WSD didn't actually exist wasn't a thing and the game read me because i read because i was going through making sure i was doing everything right and it Mm. had the controls it said well you put your left hand on the cursor keys like oh nice what and then you put it then you can use it and it's like well you can take the mouse look off if you don't it, but we do recommend you use the arrow keys for and it's like no, so I had to. I'm change. sure people
0: are already playing Quake with WASD at yeah, this point. Yeah, sure,
2: definitely. I'm sure. But you know, I use Q and E for the um, inventory cycling.
0: Yeah, that's a much more sensible option. I should then, have. I should yeah, have
2: done and that. And then and then uh, and then WSD for everything else. Mouse, look and, and space for jump and control for crouch. And that was yeah, that was classic. Good. Yeah, uh, and that's what I mean. I'm resting my hand on the key now. It's just naturally rested on those keys. It's just done it. Like yeah. oh, great, thanks. You know, muscle memories have never been there for twenty odd years now. <laughs> You're yeah. not gonna let go. But um no, that's that's how it's so I just chuckled at myself when the readme file I was like, here's a tip, use, use the cursor, cursor key. keys, like yeah. no well I know I guess a lot some of people, people still do that actually.
0: Some people probably do, yeah. Yeah.
2: Especially yeah. those who are left handed.
0: Yeah. And I don't remember uh, you know, even back in the days of the spectrum, different friends of mine, I didn't have a spectrum, but different friends of mine had their own preferences for key mappings on different games, right? it wasn't always uh not everyone wanted the same setup so yeah accessibility options <laughs> early doors um yeah but yes um i don't know there may be a mod out there to play this with a xbox controller or whatever in in a modern way i don't know I, I know there are anything i wonder there are if programs on the steam deck you will yeah that's a good point and there are programs you can get to map um, anything to an xbox controller or or any gaming controller really so there are of course ways and means but yes um, that part of the game was not an issue the ui we've talked to we've touched upon it but originally according to the wiki unreal was going to feature a large status bar and centered weapons similar to doom and quake but in the end they went for a rather more minimal hud or ui status bar and weapons just over to the right hand side which is more more the the way things are done nowadays and so that kind of stuck i'm sure it wasn't the first game to do it but again another example of something that was unusual at the time now being completely baked into the the gaming standards right
2: you could change it quite a lot though you could cycle through different arrangements and Push them around and do all sorts of weird. Oh, the thing. UI, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I messed around with that a bit, but I ended up just sitting on
0: settling on the default
2: because I found it most comfortable.
0: Yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah, I think
1: my favourite thing is in the in like the Unreal Gold interface. One of the like the big changes is you can change like the colours of the um, outsides of the boxes and stuff that everything's built into. Like the um, like all the menus and stuff, you can change in between, being like gold and blue and silver, and oh, okay. sort of classic colours, mm-hmm. and that felt very kind of um, yeah, felt felt very much like what you would do with you know changing the, you, you know your sort of folder windows on a um Windows mm-hmm. ninety eight computer, like applying the horrible like hot dog palette to everything.
0: Hmm. I remember some games coming over from Japan around this time, like. Uh, symphony of the night in 97 and uh, and final fantasy 7 as well they both allowed you to recolor and customize your ui to a degree even going back further thinking about some jrpgs on the super nintendo they would allow you to kind of tailor your your boxes and things like that and that was all a bit alien to me then and but here we are now and i think that sort of thing is generally probably more common customization but still not yeah, not guaranteed or ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, does this game have a map? If it does, I never used it. <laughs> I never found one. None. So not no, good. Not... Okay. I would would've have felt been like a right. To... Yeah. I would have felt like a right chump if it turned out there was one and I just never located the key. I feel like you um, could have used it though in a lot of just places. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Especially in the way that you know how when you play doom obviously it's it's easier to navigate doom because it because the levels are effectively only 2d there's nothing on top of anything else yeah. however you can play with the map on yeah screen once you know the level and you've cleared it out you can just go around using the map that would have mm. been so helpful in this game as would have been some sort of indicator as to where to go next and this is this is again probably one of my bigger issues with the game before we talk about the combat is actually the navigation of the game like it's one of the conversations we've had the most times on Kane and Rinse over the years. And as always, it comes down to individuals' choices and preference, whether they like to be lost, whether they like to be guided by the hand or whatever in between. Um, but this game I found was uh, very easy to get completely confused, turned around and lost in. I have a an issue in that um, my brain does not make in head maps in my head, I've, I've mentioned this before. I c- I can recognize places and I sort of have a sense of how they link. But I know some people kind of build the level in their head as they go around. My brain just does not do that, so it's very easy for me to get completely lost. And then you combine that with the darkness that we talked about, mm. which, as I say, is there are mitigations the the well hidden switch mitigations, limited though. mitigations there are well hidden switches deliberately so in some cases mm. slightly obscure messages that you have to read to that may give you a sense of where you need to go signs on the wall that you need to read that give you a sense of where yeah, you need you to go you may
1: not move close enough to realize that it's a sign <laughs> and then get the get the little yeah. translator thing pop up
0: yeah there's no on screen indicator that really that anything is happening or needs doing there's no kind of as there's i no say objectives I'd, or mission yeah, or right. anything along yeah. those lines so you just kind of have to, which is, quotes, realistic mm. and immersive in some ways, but also I found at points bemusing and yeah. frustrating.
1: I feel like the um, the gnarly race themselves are largely to blame for this because this was definitely the point mm. that I very first got stuck in when I played the original um, right. time when I was on it. I think it's about the sixth level, the um, the temple that you're in, the the Water God temple. And there are various points in that where you very clearly come to a door and it will say something very vague, like only only the one who has ascended the pillar of stairs yeah, and, yeah. You know, and claimed the, the fire stick launcher from the top of it or something will that's have access it. to the next chamber. And you're like, what the bloody hell does that mean? Oh, it means yeah. I've got to go off on some convoluted path and then remember that I need to come back here because that's when this door is going to open and they did that quite a lot in that level and then i think the castle level they do it a lot as well there's for some absolutely bizarre reason it's like you can only go into the dungeons if you ascend to the top of the tallest tower and kill the right. the creature with the 12 eyes or something and you're mm-hmm. like okay well i guess i guess i've got to do that but then also remember that for no reason at all this door is going to be open after i've gone and killed the the sort of mini boss at the top of the tower right um yeah. so they they do kind of do that the um I can't remember if it's the human ship or one of the scar facilities, sort of in the maybe the first third of the game. I think it's one of the scar facilities where you have to like power up loads of stuff to, or unpower a whole load of different stuff to get up the elevator to the to like oh, the end yeah. of it.
0: That's quite that's relatively late in the game, I, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, you... it's very likely that there's a second one of these, but there's one. Okay. I think it's quite sort of within the first section where you've got the, um, you have to go and disable like the gravity tethery type things to to, like drop a force field and you have to uh, like stop some coolant leaks so that you can get through an area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very convoluted. And even once you've done it all, I spent ages thinking, well, what has this actually done? And it didn't do what I expected. It unlocked an elevator, which I wasn't aware that it was there because it was kind of, tucked into one of these corridors that were otherwise <laughs> symmetrical and I didn't realise that one corner, of them yeah. had like a small Tuck. elevator that would go up into the engine room or something. Yeah. Um so technically it does tell you these things, but you have to be very aware of going to the um the panels and reading them. And one of the problems with the like the human facilities and the um like the the processing facilities or whatever, the like the, the outposts that the um the aliens are using. Like they they will have like four panels all next to each other that as you walk past they'll like all of <laughs> yeah. them will ping up and unless you go back to the specific one and stand only close enough to that one you will have missed the messages as well or like it will it will sort of technically ping it but then within two seconds you'll have another yeah. one and you can't cycle back through messages or anything in the translator it only shows no. you the most recent things so, yeah and most of them are just sort of you know not. Pertinent logs and that sort of stuff, yeah, uh, rather than instructions of what to do,
0: yeah, there's no real indication as to what's a, a pertinent piece of information and what's just world building or flavor yeah. text, yeah. yeah, which again realistic in some ways, yeah um that but necessarily again we
1: make for the greatest fun game we've
0: yeah, we've gotten very used to being more handheld, and I sort of appreciate this kind of design to a point, but again, it's one of those mm. things where. You know, I don't really want to spend my leisure time just looping endlessly yes. around the same bit of architecture because yeah. the game hasn't made it plain where I need to go next.
1: I feel like I'm going to make an argument here that this game is possibly about twice the length that it needs to be, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of those levels. I've gone along with that. Like you, you counted off at one point uh, in the uh, in the Scott Erb chat that. You were on level twenty-four of thirty-eight or something. Thirty-eight and I was levels, thinking like okay, yes, two of them are kind levels. of tiny, or three. Well, a few them, of them yeah. are, I mean, they are massively ranging in length, but also yeah, you've got really, no idea yeah. because I feel like yeah, I feel like there's a lot of very very long levels close to the beginning and then in the middle of the game. And you said something about like twenty-four of thirty-eight, and I looked at mm. the list. I was like, okay, we. Well, I think you've gone past most of the really bad ones. I was I kind of you, more than halfway yeah, yeah definitely yeah. um but then you get to the point where like the last five or six levels are all pretty short yeah so yeah it's it's like wildly uh, inconsistent mm. in like convolution and just general length of some of them um and I do feel that there are there are like numerous points that just didn't need to be here i mean they're kind of cool and it kind of again like makes sense but some of the little like the trench level, and the one that's called something like Nork's Elbow, which I think is again just like a little trenchy thing leading between levels. And there's a few of them that they kind of use for like boss fights or mini boss fights.
0: Yeah, but one's just an interactive cutscene, in fact. Yeah, isn't it? Like, one level.
1: Yeah, there's one at the end of the game. I think there's like illumination or something, and then the darkening. And literally, one of them, the illumination one, it's like you just have to move backwards so that you don't get crushed by the falling debris. Yeah. And then it finishes. Yeah. I mean, how is that a level that had, like, a designer's name and stuff at the top of it? Yeah, I think, I
0: I mean, I think they had to be separated off based on kind of how much, yeah, how much they took out of the PC to actually run and show and display. But, yeah, some of them, yeah, they probably need loading
1: screens and stuff between them because otherwise there aren't loading screens in the middle of the levels.
0: No, and obviously I don't know about Chris's experience playing it on OG hardware, but for me, like the gaps between levels playing off an SSD were—it's just literally like a finger clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I, I have to say my least favorite, sort of be negative here, but is the hydroponics bay. I'm not sure what mm. level it's called. Remind me, it's just, just where That's you in have one a of
1: the, the ship. There's a ship—a the crashed human ship—which you hear about a lot, and then for the rest yeah. of the game you're constantly finding the people who were on that ship. And I think yeah. there's three levels on that ship. And one of the ones is the one that I was talking about where you have to fire up the engine thing and disable the generators. Yeah. And then, yeah, the other one has all the hydroponic stuff at the top of it. Oh, God. It's just yeah, there's a section A,
2: B, and C. And there's like one uh, section yeah. where you had to go, I think it was section C, where you had a little mini lift. Little, and then you go with a little mini lift, and then you had to kill a couple of mercenaries in there. And once you killed them, there was this pool, and it looks like it's just a piece of scenery,
0: right? Yeah. It's
2: not. You have to dive into it.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> no, the game does that quite
2: and took, a lot. I took it's ages. Swimming I do not know where, or what, no clue, no, no guidance, nowhere. <laughs> like just, I need. To, and eventually, I, I, you know, I broke down, and somewhere on the internet, it's like, oh, oh I have to go yeah. into this pool. Oh yeah, which looks yeah. like a bit of scenery. You know, normally yeah, normally this looks
0: like a fountain.
2: Then, yeah. yeah, dived in and went. Oh
0: look, it goes on. There's forever. a whole world in here, <laughs> which und- is kind of cool, but also yeah. there's yes. no there's no guidance. So like no. we, a lot of us learned a lot about levelled. Obviously, Chris, you've interviewed loads of developers, and we all learned a lot from things like the developer commentaries on the Valve games about the invisible hand of guidance through these levels. But I feel like this was just before that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just like here's a level. Some of it you'll kind of be funneled down a little bit, but once you've kind of been everywhere, it's up to you to piece it all together Mm -hmm. and work out how to get out. Which, again, some people will love and some people will think that gaming's been horrifically dumbed down. Others will think it would just be nice to have a little bit more hand tugging, if not holding, as to kind of just where, yeah, why, you know, just give me some clue that I'm supposed to dive Mm -hmm. into this water feature.
2: There was one (laughs) section. That I think the designers went. Oh, hang on, I think they're a bit lost here. It was in, <laughs> yeah. the, it was in the castle,
1: mm. which one? <laughs> the,
2: the, penult- the penultimate one, um, which is multi-leveled, and you there's even like some, oh god, some areas where you have monsters, monster closets. Okay, so that's a thing. But the infinite spawning monster closets—they were fun. Yeah.
0: Um, well, but they're and- not infinite, as I learned. There what? was one no. that I think definitely was
1: because it no. just kept spawning yeah. the enemies for. I, I killed yeah. like sixty enemies. I basically ran yeah.
0: out of all of my ammo. I didn't. Hmm, I because I thought I cleared them all out in the end. There was one room which I was right. convinced there was one room I was convinced was an infinite monster spawning monster spawning level, but I ended up repeatedly going back there because I couldn't work out where to go next. No. And eventually they stopped. But. I killed a lot. Yeah. yeah. So there's a
1: bit where there's a log, and the guy in the log says something like, We've barricaded ourselves at the end of this mm, corridor. We've killed lots of them, but we know that there are still like at least 50 out there. And okay. I was running around. I mean, I won't swear to it, but and...
0: the guide I was looking at sort of said, um, for some of these bits that I thought were clown cars of mm. monsters, sort of said, Eventually they'll stop coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, but there then... was
2: a couple of instances where that does happen, but they're.
1: Yeah.
0: There may I be one or two that aren't, yeah, right, okay.
2: yeah, one or two that aren't, um but yeah, I think really, sort of there was a was an underwater one again, and mm. they had this big sort of like mark on the ground, it was mm. like this diagram pentagram, sort of like white <laughs> markings, basically saying say, point maybe, maybe we yeah. should tell them because I think even we realize. We're being a bit obtuse here. Yeah, yeah. So, and like, and let's just point at that. So, I did thank them for that. Like, thanks. Thanks. You finally figured it out. Maybe, just maybe, you know, you should give a little yeah. bit more pointers than you do. <laughs> um, it's it's but, kind of um, interesting
1: as well when you like, you see the names of the level designers at the beginning of the level, their name yeah. pops yeah. up, which is kind of cool because in my mind, okay, we were kind of in the era of like the rock star game developers, like, um, mm. you know, the John Romero. Like trying to make himself sort of a household name and that sort of thing. But it, it struck me as like, you know, it's not even that long before, and also, presumably in Japan, things were a bit different, where people had to use pseudonyms, they didn't want to be known as developers, or like, the you know, the famous Easter egg thing in Adventure, or whatever it was, where they had yeah, to yeah. hide their names, and, yeah. and eventually yeah. got in trouble when it got found yeah. out. But, I mean, right. it's like the Sega Japanese games, I've heard, you know, lots of those Mega Drive games and stuff that you know, the developers have all got silly names, just like yeah, cow same with, and that sort of Same stuff. with a lot of and, arcade games, yeah. It, yeah. And, um,
0: Capcom and Konami had the same thing. Basically, it was it was to prevent headhunting, yeah. or oh, that was the that was the excuse anyway.
1: And that was, what, four years, five years before this? It was quite quite heavily used, but probably was still going mm. on at this time as well with some of those games. But this actually putting yeah. the level designers' names, when the level yeah. loaded up, telling you what the name of the level was and the designer, I feel like you could tell that there was a theme that people had, like definitely we mentioned before, um, I think the first three levels or four levels or something, um, there's two mine levels very early on, and Cliff Blazinski is named in both of them as the designer. And it's like, yeah. okay, so he clearly likes these com- these kind of like combatty levels that don't have very much puzzle. And then in the um, expansion, he comes back and does two more very similar kind of levels that are right. mostly a bit linear, doors closed behind you and stuff. So you can't really, mm. it's not so much like searching a huge area but you you start to notice some of the names like the person who did the the monastery will then be the same one who does the castle later and it's like oh my god yeah these are the two levels that are really long and convoluted
0: yeah does that it's sort of interesting do you think it gives the game some variety and you know we talked about the massively different lengths of level Mm -hmm. but also styles um which yeah I, i guess there's an argument that it you know if they're if they're laid out in an interesting way that gives it a nice sense of um you know ebb and flow and pacing that's cool but it also could lead to a feeling that it's a you know game that's not coherent
1: yeah i mean i feel like there's a little bit of the problem there that it does feel like it's broken up into multiple different parts and in some ways the story kind of takes a little bit of the um like the the edge off it, because if you, if you are following what's going on and you're, you're aware of where you are in the levels and like what you're doing, it, it kind of makes some sense, um, that you're, you're sort of going through this village. That's like the link between the, um, like the, the ship at the beginning and then the, the temple that you're trying to get to. And then there's like the trench that leads up to the crash spaceship and you get the levels in there, but then, you know, lots of, lots of mention that the spaceship crashed right next to an early village. So, the level afterwards is, is another one like that. I feel like it does it does try and break it up, but I also think it's it's a game very much of its time where I don't... I'm not sure that you would now get a first-person shooter that was this long. I mean, arguably, there is a little bit more to it than just first-person mm. shooting. It is kind of a... A sort of a little bit puzzly and a little bit yeah. adventurous as well, but yes, the idea yeah. that you know, imagine like a Call of Duty game coming out in twenty twenty three that was nearly mm. twenty hours long to get through, people would yeah. want that. Yeah, like I you don't have that's... the time for that anymore. I mean, you you think about how many games were released in nineteen ninety eight compared to how many there are now, and it's mm. like, yeah, the, it was kind of the time where you'd want to marinate with a game a little bit and spend a bit more
0: time, and maybe it was. It's interesting you say that because I think of. For for all the stellar reviews and, and notices and word of mouth that the Metroid Prime remaster has had this year, if there's one criticism I've seen multiple times, is the, like, this game goes on a bit long, it's a bit too long. And yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a sort of, yeah, it's a it's a change in the way we play and, mm. and things like that. Like, obviously, epic, massive games are still a thing, mm. but maybe not always in the kind of the the genres that we like to play in relatively short bursts. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing... As a, as a sort of comparison, I'm I'm playing Proteus at the moment, which is a kind of retro revival shooter mm-hmm. uh, in the style of uh, kind of it most resembles kind of Doom 2016, but the mm-hmm. graphics are kind of have a style to them, which kind of takes them back more to the 90s era, although yeah. not specifically. Um, I think that's quite big. It's a relatively big game, but ma- I don't know, maybe 15 hours or something in total. Um but uh but i'm finding like i'm finding it a lot easier to navigate and and the the flow is a lot kind of uh, is 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 smoother and the weapons feel more satisfying and and i mean and i still play a lot of uh, shooters from this era or even earlier i mean i played night dives quake re-release recently mm. and and their doom 64 as well and and those were much easier to play than than this was for me like in terms of navigation and and uh not getting bogged down or lost part of it though is just and this brings us on to our next topic i think is the the combat um and 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 i i don't recall exactly and again you know we we talked about the the high scores this game got us at, in its reviews but i feel like unreal one obviously unreal tournament is a whole different kettle of fish with its multiplayer but I feel like Unreal One was never considered like the peak, the apex of first-person shooters in terms of the actual act of shooting at monsters and having them shoot back at you. I don't know if this is if that's mm-hmm. accurate or fair, but I if there were two two big issues I had really with with the combat in this game, and you know it wasn't again far from unplayable as such, but maybe if I tweaked the difficulty, I would have had a better time but there are a lot of weapons in this game that aren't hit-scanned, so they fire actual projectiles yeah. into the into the level, which is great because I, I really like that, but they all travel really slowly. Yeah. the The projectiles travel really slowly, and the monsters, as we discussed, are quite nippy, and the AI is actually quite sophisticated for the time, so they yeah. spend a lot of time nipping out the way. They're also all quite spongy, certainly yeah. on the default difficulty that I played on, and a lot of the weapons, even the ones that look and feel like they should be quite powerful seem to be quite weak and a lot of the enemies take a lot of damage so there's a lot of kind of what i feel like are kind of overly drawn out skirmishes slightly attritional um showdowns rather than that kind of cathartic boom bang onto the next one sort of pattern
1: you get a little bit i think there are there are a few weapons that um, you can use to do things like take heads off and stuff that will end a yeah. combat scenario earlier than you might have otherwise. Like the sniper rifle is very, very nice from a distance, just popping heads off. That one's off. Hit scan, yeah, um, yeah. And the same with the uh, the razor blade shooter thing, the ripper. Mm. I mean, I don't really like using mm. that weapon because most of the time the thing's just bloom bounce back and hit me instead.
0: But yeah. if you if you position the thing it moves nicely, out of the way before oh, yeah, the razor blade okay. slowly well, ambles across the level, yeah, to, that's a kind of a yeah.
1: constant thing. You just want to sort of fire that sideways down a corridor and ensure that it's going to hit something. Yeah. But again, if you like hit an enemy, I guess in the in the right spot, it can take their head off and like finish them early. But yeah, some of the some of the enemies are so spongy, especially considering how awesome some of the weapons look, like that flat cannon. You should never take more than one flat cannon shot to just rip something to pieces. But right. sometimes, like even those little pupa things that you get in the later levels oh, no. that just crawl around, <laughs> they can survive a flat cannon shot. That's, that's yeah. not
0: fair. Yeah, I want bigger splash damage, and yeah. I want more opportunity for jibbing. Yeah, <laughs> and the rocket launcher—it's an incredible idea
1: to have a multi chamber rocket launcher that you can shoot rockets in like what three or four different configurations. And if you if you hold that manage to hold the cursor on an enemy for long enough it will it will also crack at them. Yeah. Um but they just don't feel like they do enough damage at all. I agree. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be able to hit something with a rocket and it not even react to it. Especially, you know, you get to the point where you can load up six rockets and fire them in a little cluster. You get an enemy who's unsuspecting and shoot them in the back. Some of those bigger Scar Warriors can take yeah. six rockets and just laugh at you back. Yeah. Like yeah. that six rockets should never not kill something that's not a boss.
0: And do you think yeah. there's enough kind of health and, and, and stuff kind of left around to mitigate this into is Do you think this was the plan to have these kind of more, these kind of, I don't know, more cinematic showdowns rather than just having the player as the, the power fantasy?
1: I feel like it might be. Like the, some of the power-ups and stuff that you find, like the shield belts and things that you would expect to be pretty uncommon. Are actually dotted around all over the place if you if you mm. explore a little bit and there's a yeah. there's a reasonable amount of stuff also that um, uh, if you do things like your I mean ideally you're supposed to protect the gnarly and and points where you find them being attacked by an alien creature you can you can sort of save them or if you just don't shoot the ones who are just wandering about. A lot of the times, they will like take you to an area and like yeah. open a secret. I learned this halfway through
0: after killing all the others, assuming oh, they're enemies.
1: No, no, you're not supposed to do that. They, they, they will give you like good power ups. <laughs> should stuff. have been reading
0: the, should have been reading yeah, the. have read your there. instruction
1: manual. It's definitely, uh, definitely says in there <laughs> that they are probably not hostile. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the amounts of armor and stuff that you can find, and the um, the big health pickups that double you up to two hundred if you're if you're already a hundred. There are health packs around a lot. You also get the, the little um, the fruit that are growing in quite a lot of places and also you get the um, the seeds I that you can pick like up and that. then plant. That's, That's a cool, cool. mechanic. Yeah. They yeah, you can them. plant anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. yeah.
0: They, they grow anywhere. Grow yeah. anywhere. Like the, you, they can, germ- you can like germinate them in the palm of your hand. Eat
1: them quickly <laughs> and they give you a small amount of health or you can wait till they're like fully grown and get, get, get quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that they do throw a lot of those resources at you. And there is ammo. Everywhere, but mm. it still doesn't take away from the fact that it just kind of feels like it pads out the runtime on it to have every single combat encounter with, like one of the larger warriors or something, yeah. be actively a bit of a nightmare. And some mm. of those later levels have got a lot of enemies in them. Um, they don't do it in the base game, but in the expansion, at the end of each level, it pops up and it's got a run encounter of how many kills and stuff you've had. Um, oh, right. and it include it breaks down yeah. all the different weapons. I think by the time I'd finished it, even with a relatively short campaign, I still had something like 600 kills. Like, it's a yeah. lot. Yeah.
2: I just want to point out a couple of things sort of skipped over. The Stinger uh, its a weapon mm. that you get. It's the default weapon. You don't need any ammo for it. It just automatically regenerates itself over time. Oh, the
1: yeah, dispersion pistol thing. Yeah, and mm. then
2: it suddenly starts to expand because you get these upgrades yeah. for it and it gets more and more potent as a weapon. I was finding myself using that quite a lot to conserve ammo for more, you know, useful yeah. weapons. Mm. Um doesn't you know, also using it to blow up crates yeah, for sure. ammo and health and stuff.
0: Yeah. It's a bit pea shootery for enemies most uh, for the most of the game. Yeah.
2: Initially, but then later on it does become more useful. True. I found that the little you know, the uh the uh, the, the little grub creatures that made little mm-hmm. sounds they're like proto head crab
0: head crab, I think
2: yeah. I think they were meant to be similar to them. Uh, but they didn't really evoke
0: Well this kind game of the would have been in terror. development. This game would have been in development simultaneously with Half Life, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um but I, I think they're both kind of face hugger yeah. rip-offs, yeah, aren't yeah, they? potentially. Yeah.
2: But one thing we really want to mention that struck me, that made me mm. smile actually, mm. is that the enemies didn't seem to know what to do when you started circle strafing them. Yeah. Um they were like what are you
0: doing? That's vintage f- FPS. That is, exactly.
2: Right? It's, like, it's what you do. You, you circle strafe, and that's what I'm going to do. Especially the the brutes with the missile launchers. Oh yeah, they fire. You just shuffle over. I'm You're like, immune. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just I'm strafing. That's what everyone does, right? And what the only is danger is getting stuck on a pillar
0: sometime. that you can't see or whatever.
2: <laughs> oh yes, yes. Mm. And also in the expansion, um, they have an ice level. All, all oh co- God, cover yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. um slip uh, slippy, slippy, slidey ice level, thanks, mm. um, but I just made me smile that as much as advanced the o i is, and trust me, it yeah. really is, and I do think there's some germs yeah. of that that eventually yeah. found itself into halo et cetera et cetera um, yeah, it, they follow could, you up yeah.
0: slopes, they sometimes try to flank you and 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 they hide behind things, and yeah they they do seem to have a bit of more of a. Sense of yeah, and being. the scar, yeah, the scar warriors actually play dead, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That, so that got me a few times, yeah, yeah. So I ended it, up, you you could do that later.
1: as well. There is a button for you to play dead. I'm pretty sure it's not <laughs> useful in the single player campaign. I can't imagine it. Is. There's a handful of things that appear in the single player. I found this, um, item that was like a distraction box or something that you throw it down, it makes like a whole load of gun noises and shouting and stuff. It did not, yeah. I found one hidden somewhere in one level quite early on. Didn't do a damn thing. The enemies did not respond to it. So I presume it's something that you might be using in a multiplayer. And the same with, like, the play dead. You can also throw your gun away for some reason. (laughs) I think possibly, again, to, like, give it to your teammate in the multiplayer, but
0: it's Uh, it's still present in the the solo (laughs) game. In engine mechanics. Yeah. Uh the combined attack mentioned in the manual applies to the shock rifle. Fire a plasma blob with the secondary fire button button, then without moving, fire a shot with the primary fire button. The shot will pierce the plasma blob in midair, exploding it with a nice blast radius. Yeah, I didn't try
1: this. That's nice. Yeah, that's definitely something that I did a lot in Unreal Tournament. It's much more difficult to to actually nail it here. It looks like a lot of the time you're not hitting the enemies. Mm. I think maybe the, the sort of the field of view or something is not um not as good here. Like the depth perception is not as good. Um, mm. But yeah, that's that's like classic for the uh Unreal tournament and it does a huge amount of damage if you can actually get it to hit properly. Yeah, um, I did it
2: a handful of times, but very satisfying when it actually does it and you catch uh, two or three enemies in it, mm. but it's very hard to pull off. Yeah. Uh.
1: Especially if you can like manage to just completely jib like a a handful of the fish or the um the pupa before they like cotton onto you being there. That's pretty cool. But it it did not seem to do enough to the regular enemies. I think just proving how bullet spongy some of those guys are.
0: Yeah. The eight ball weapon in the game is called that because it originally fired eight missiles. Playtesting, however, revealed that six made for a more balanced weapon. Um, I guess six balls, not quite as catchy. Doesn't have the same ring to it. (laughs) Many features of the bot AI were used to program the AI of the game's single-player enemies. So they started with the the multiplayer bots for the for the deathmatch game and then brought that code back into the single-player game for the Scarge, in particular. As a result, Unreal single-player enemies had a degree of flexibility previously unseen in their ability to fight and navigate levels. I was pleasantly surprised even right up to the final boss and there's a few... There's a couple of encounters with a sort of sub-boss flying henchman before mm-hmm. the end. I was pleasantly surprised, given how bullet spongy the regular mobs are, that actually these none of these I found too bad. Um,
1: didn't take no. too many
0: attempts to take down the bosses, and partly because you tend to fight them in large arenas where you can circle around and they didn't have too many attacks that were... Uh, designed to stop you doing that a few but nothing major um i think compared to modern games these boss fights felt felt a little kind of random and rough and unstructured Mm. but by the point i was getting to these i was quite happy that they just didn't provide that much of an obstacle
1: there's also some tricks you can pull off as well like the the first time you fight that warlord in the in like the volcano crater it's it's Mm. kind of hard to notice it but he's got there's a big um Stalactite above his head that you can shoot down, and if you oh, manage to spot that. it, and he doesn't hear your weapon go off and then get out of the way, on the difficulty I was playing on, it was practically just finished the fight. Just if you could nail that, that's cool. Mm, yeah, but it's it's like the one point as far as I'm aware in the game where you right. can kind of do something like that. Use the scenery. I mean, maybe there's more, but it's the only time I noticed it. There's also um like a mini boss section with uh one of the titans, the one who's sitting down and you've got to um you've got to wake him up and then use the button on the chair to open the door. Like if mm. you if you do certain things in order, you can get him to come across the bridge that you need to cross and then drop the bridge into the lava with him on it. So that was that was kind of a, a slightly complex setting it up the way that you've got to do it. But, for a bowser moment. Yeah, pretty much. Um but then, you know, it kind of takes it away from the fact that the first time you meet one of those titans, it's kind of really cool, and you're in this, this arena, like, Colosseum-style area, and you have a cool fight with him that you have to do before the door opens. Um, but then, over the course of the rest of the game, you fight, like, another six of them or more, and a the stronger variant as well. So, I feel like they kind yeah. of take away from themselves a little bit with how few... Yeah, compared to, like, the fact that there are multiple other enemies, and you may not even really notice it that well, but the there's multiple different like levels of the scar they get bigger and they get more armored and stuff and realistically i think what i noticed was just that some of them took more bullets to kill than others but there are if you can yeah like probably get a good look there are visual differences and stuff to them And i think if you get killed by them it does pop up in the corner of the screen and tell you you were killed by whatever like a (laughs) scar warrior or a scar brute or a scar lord or what whatnot um but yeah for for the amount of like small variations they put into some of the um like the smaller enemies I am surprised that there aren't more unique bosses there really are only the the two unless you count the titans it's just the warlord and the queen at the end um I feel like there could have been more and even with the the expansion pack the end of that finishes with you killing another warlord like exactly the same thing so it's yeah. slightly disappointing yeah. that they didn't have more variation in the bosses
0: Chris, did you have fun or trouble or neither or both with uh, this game's boss encounters?
2: Well, the titans I found taxing. Uh, I did like using the environments to kill them as on, uh, if, if you could. Mm. It was so rare, and the game didn't really lend itself to interactive. Uh, this wasn't Red Faction, everyone. So, you know, where it did allow you to do that was very contrived ways yeah. in mm. the limits of the engine itself. yeah. Um, I did find that the bullet sponge aspect was troublesome as well. Mm. It's like you could you almost see the numbers floating above their head in, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but uh, but rather than not actually being there, and you know, unloading just volley after volley after volley of rockets mm. into Titans was just I if, uh, if there was a way to avoid them, which is actually possible in some instances than mm. I would, yeah. Um, not out of fear, just like I really don't, I can't, not today. I've got things to yeah. do, um, yeah, right. but um, I think uh, the different sort of features that you encounter and the different the, they do, you could tell they are larger at scale. they like, oh, hang on, this one's not a scout, this one's a, I mean, I could start recognizing them eventually, but I think mm. the most annoying out of all of them. I think the mercenaries with their invulnerability shields.
1: Oh, ugh, hate that.
2: They're just like, what am I supposed to do now? Just wait for you to like, so you're shooting away at me. I've just got to dodge around that until you turn that thing off. It's just... It's
0: it's unfair. Some, it's a good one. Yeah, we've got them. It's unfair fair. when they've gone. <laughs> totally unfair.
1: Well, that's that's one of the other things with the enemies. Like you notice, they, apart from the, the scar that have like their little energy attack, the mercenaries and stuff, um, they have... Or some of the other SCAR, like the not the big warrior ones, the, the more predatory looking ones, they use the weapons that you use. And you can tell, like, yeah. this guy's fighting you with a flat cannon yeah. or with a rocket launcher that you've got. Yeah,
0: Again, um, Halo esque mm. in some respects. Um, but yeah, even I think it's the same in that none of the enemies would have the direct hit weapons. They'd only have the projectile weapons so that you can actually, you've got a chance of avoiding. They they, they they can't just shoot you with a sniper rifle yeah. from, you know, whatever, without you having any
1: you know, the comeback. The cannon's or... a bit of a bugger when you come up against someone in like a small corridor and you know that they're going to take way too many shots to kill. It's yeah. just like, oh I need to try and run away from this and get into yeah. a larger room or something. Hope I don't back up into something else that that I didn't kill from previously.
0: I didn't investigate how exactly what the any difficulty options alter um, in terms of bullet sponginess but if there is an option to play it on an easier difficulty and that does affect it i would recommend that i imagine
1: that the main thing that the difficulty options do is they just change their like the numbers but i did read somewhere in one of the guides i was looking at that they were saying on the medium difficulty like there was a corridor in one of the um spaceships that you had to you could go down it through these laser sort of grids that were moving around to get like a Um, to get like a a shield belt or something at the end. And I remember getting killed by them and thinking, are you actually supposed to be able to get down there or do I go and turn them off somewhere? Looked at the guide and it said that on the highest difficulty, there was also a button at the end of that corridor that you had to go down and press to open the next doorway. (laughs) So they actually add in extra bits on the harder difficulties for like puzzles and stuff from the sound of things.
0: Right. We should mention, of course, that uh, this is a PC shooter uh, first person shooter and as such has quick save and quick load yes which of course mitigates against virtually everything yeah but that's not to say that actually just having to quick save quick load all the time is that enjoyable like it's i, I personally find it more fun to get through the levels or at least a decent chunk at a time before having to resort resort to, to those but there are some bits where yeah i was just you know walking around a corner getting killed and Reloading and then either going off to find some health and, or just, you know, approaching from a different angle, that kind of thing. The old, the old dance that we do with mm. F- F6 and F7 or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, Ashman 86 from our forum says, I only played Unreal after having spent a good deal of time in Unreal Tournament playing with and against my dad. He was the Unreal fan in the family and I was more interested in games like Half-Life at the time. What I remember most about the game is thinking how very similar the series was to Quake in more ways than I'd previously realised, and that, for my money, Unreal Tournament was superior to Quake 3 in the realm of arena shooters, but the original Unreal could never hold a candle to Quake 1 or 2.
1: I feel like that was the big thing, wasn't it, the Unreal Tournament versus Quake 3 particularly. Mm. And I I liked Unreal Tournament a huge amount, but I always found that there were more people seemed to uh, be on the Quake 3 side of it. Like much mm. more passionate about that but it's nice to nice to hear another unreal tournament defender
0: <laughs> certainly had its fans yeah, and community
1: definitely did although
0: even before unreal tournament and i guess this is what inspired it this game does have a multiplayer mode or did uh it was it was also the first fps to officially include ai bots um whereas previously fan programmed bots had been added in as mods for games like quake and doom this was the first game where bots were officially included by the game's coders, according to Moby Games. Uh, Did either of you pre-tournament actually play any Unreal multiplayer?
1: I don't know if I played it before tournament. I remember, because I mostly played this game in its entirety after I'd played tournament, I remember coming back to some of the bot matches, and I think from what I remember, it is largely the same levels in this that they then sort of built on a little bit to do in... um, Unreal tournament so you'd, you'd find a lot of the same maps and stuff uh obviously started off here and then got sort of progressed upon but there were one or two that i really liked from the original unreal there's one where you're sort of above a big fan or something a big spinning fan i think um and i remember Waiting. that that was not in um unreal tournament there were various very similar things in unreal tournament but So, I I used to come back to this a little bit, but it always had the feeling of the weapons weren't as cool. Like, despite being exactly the same weapons, they felt like a less, um, you know, less uh, like built upon version of the same thing. So, not really, but I've definitely dabbled with it to some extent.
2: I personally don't remember doing it at the time because back then in the late 90s, I think I was still on dial up. So, multiplayer was.
0: Yeah, um, certainly was. It wasn't Although,
2: until 2000 I got a DSL, I think. They
0: made, uh, they made it work on even on Dreamcast with its yeah. uh, 33K modem. I had some good times it playing Quake 3 on that.
1: I don't think we ever got anything beyond dial-up on that original PC, which we continued to have until about 2004, I think. And I definitely played some Unreal Tournament online with the dial-up modem and found it to be less atrocious than I expected. Yeah, I imagine yeah. it's because the yeah. people hosting it will be using Bloomin' T1 lines or something in their, um, hmm. you know, like universities and that sort of stuff.
0: So They released some extra levels, put together we think by Legend Entertainment, who were previously known for games such as Oh God, what was it called? <laughs> Chris knows. Spellcasting oh. 101. Oh. Sorcerers get all the girls. Yeah. Um, And a a series of those kinds of games uh, and various other adventures. But yes, then they moved into uh, first-person shooters and uh, ended up making Unreal 2. Um, And their last game was Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Thomas the Tank Mouse from Twitter said, Man, I still need to get around to playing Return to Napali one of these years. <clears throat> whenever i go back through unreal i think i'm totally going to do the expansion after this and like never do mm-hmm. is uh, i mean it, i didn't do this i didn't play this you both did kindly um it sounds like they didn't really have any idea about what to do with the story other than just send the player back to the same place
1: yeah it's in a lot of ways it's basically just more of the exact same thing sure um they don't i don't think that they particularly do anything different with the level design that they've done previously there's similar sort of crashed human spaceships that you're exploring and some gnarly villages and some castles and another gnarly temple which is quite similar to the ones from the previous game
0: any sort of advances or evolutions beyond the odd weapon or
1: uh, there's a handful of new weapons which are kind of cool because they're more like the the human versions of the weapons that you found before so there's a there's a combat rifle which you get basically at the beginning of it which is um it's probably most similar to something like the minigun from the main game it it goes through ammo so quickly that it, it actually becomes quite difficult to use it um they have a grenade launcher which feels a little bit redundant because the uh the eight ball rocket launcher can kind of fling grenades um And they, what's the other one? Oh, and they've got got a rocket launcher, which works as like a single-shot RPG launcher as well. So uh, they're kind of, like, they're cool enough, but they're not really particularly groundbreaking things that they've added. And then there's a handful of new enemies, which are mostly very, very annoying. There's these little dinosaur things that charge at you that take far too much ammo to kill and do loads of damage to you. They kind of come at you in packs and then there are these spider things which show up in some of the the kind of templiary areas which are also quite annoying to fight so like there's there's very small changes to it but not like not anything that is drastically different i mean i guess it makes sense that it's you know it's just an expansion that's running on the same the same tech and is clearly using like reusing the same assets and stuff for for the areas um but it's for what it is like i think it's surprisingly long like it lasted me six or seven hours compared to the main game being three times that, two to two and a half, three times that. So it's quite meaty, but there's like it feels like there's not enough in it to be an absolute must, must play. Like it's it, it's interesting that it adds like actual cutscenes at the beginning, um, or sort of cutscenes, but they've got dialogue voiceover, which you didn't get in the original game, uh, from yeah, yeah. your character. They have this little, like, stat screen at the end of the levels, and each level, or virtually each level, ends with your character leaving, like, a little mission log, kind of explaining what happened in the level, like, a little bit of, like, how the story is progressing, what, what they're trying to do. So it kind of... It it pulls it together a little bit more than the original game, but honestly, I feel like actually seeing the things that they've added to this, they they more are, like notable as missing from the first from the original game than like you know these major groundbreaking things that they've added like it's a shame that they don't have the little bit of voiceover dialogue from your character at the end of the levels just sort of talking about their objective and, and what happened because you can so easily miss that you know when you press this button and something opened up you missed like what exactly you were doing so at least the expansion kind of explains a little bit more about it but it's, it's not like drastically different in any way really I don't think
0: Essential stuff or for fans only
1: <laughs> be hard to call it essential I mean it's if you really really like unreal it's it's more of the same and it's a very slight step up I think with the the additions that they've made but it's not like if you never if Thomas Tank Mouse never gets around to playing it ever I don't think you know it's not something they're still going to be concerned about on their deathbeds um, it's just, it's just more unreal. Chris, any? any yeah, thoughts? I
2: just want, I want to contribute a little bit here. Is the uh, we talk about the slidey ice level oh, that, that that exists, um, in to its detriment because it's basically you're walking along very narrow, pervasive, you know, like, sort of like ridges of, of mountain, and just one slight touch of the keyboard, just a little bit too yeah. much because it's digital. Off you go into the abyss. Yeah, it's um, far too
1: slidey. Also, the enemies seem to be slidy. vaguely affected by it, which is quite amusing as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, in defence of the designers, um, there is some interesting. I found this story more interesting: There's the betrayal where you go off and you you go, you get sent down by the planet by the military in exchange of a pardon and returning to a ticket back to Earth. Yeah, right. And then you go and they do the, you do what they ask you to do. Find a Prometheus, um, a ship, another ship that's crashed. So many ships have crash landed in this planet. It's ridiculous. Mm, yeah. um, and then you go and you go there, and then you do the thing. And then as soon as you do the thing, you find out there's a transmission from them to another star local star base, and they say, "Well, well don't forget, we must eliminate all witnesses to all of this." All oh, right, okay. In other words, you know, you must eliminate you player and then all of a sudden these marines beam in just another enemy um heavily armored marines and uh, very well i found them a bit sort of lackluster i was expecting something more but i was mowing them down quite viciously Yeah, they arrived they
1: should be they should have really good um ai on them like running away and stuff but they beam into this area that is basically like the flat top of a ship that has not got a huge amount of cover and stuff on it and they just kind of They've got two different weapons. They use either the assault rifle or the, the new rocket launcher. And yeah, they're kind of just a little bit ineffective. I mean, the, when they use the assault rifle and they're actually shooting at you, it chews through your health pretty badly. Um, but it's not difficult to just sort of get the bead on them and kill them basically before they've even started attacking you. They seem yeah, to have very yeah. little very little survival instinct. Or they just kind of stand there. Like the one who's got the rocket launcher. Or the few that have the rocket launcher, they like they'll beam down at the other end of the ship, and the rockets will just start coming. It's like, oh well, you know, these are very very easy to dodge. They <laughs> don't move quickly yeah. or anything, so yeah, they they seems rather lackluster to be honest.
2: But uh, I do like the logs though, um, the play the, the the narration and like you know, oh, I've got through this area. Oh god, that that was that was tough. That went on for a bit. Yeah, no kidding. Mm. Um, but it's almost like the game has been like slightly self-aware. Um, I, did, I did enjoy it. I think it's a, a wonderful addition, actually. It does keep with the spirit of Unreal. and it does try to add a little bit here and there, but it doesn't quite, you know quite do as much as one would like. But it's a nice addition, and I love the fact that it's called Mission Pack One.: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, sadly two or three never arrived oh,
1: the other thing that i find kind of interesting about this is um just looking at the boxes that i've got uh, on my shelf this has got plastered in big letters on the front of it like uh needs to be played with either unreal original or unreal tournament so you didn't even have to own the original game to play this you could just mm. play it through like the launcher for unreal tournament i guess which is kind of interesting and a bit cool mm.
0: Since Unreal came packaged with its own scripting language called Unreal Script, it soon developed a large community, which was able to add new mods in order to change or enhance gameplay. This feature greatly added to the overall longevity of the product and provided an incentive for new development. A map editor and overall complete mod program called Unreal Ed also came with the package. Unreal's method of creating maps differs in major ways from that of Quake, they bundled The bundled Unreal Ed map editor uses the Unreal Engine to render scenes exactly as they appear in game, as opposed to external editors like WorldCraft attempting to recreate it with different methods. Whereas Quake Maps are compiled from a variety of different components, Unreal Maps are inherently editable on the fly. This allows anybody to edit any map that's created, including maps included with the game. According to Wikipedia, And in July 2000, official support ended with the patch 2.26F. Therefore, with the awareness and permission of Epic, fan community started the old Unreal Community patch project based on the original source code in 2008. The latest patch iteration, 2.27i, released in November 2012, features new graphics rendering like DX9, updated OpenGL, new sound rendering based on OpenAL, and fixes many incompatibilities with modern operating systems and hardware. I don't know if that patch is actually part of the... Yeah, I didn't have that,
1: (laughs) from the the weird graphical glitches and some of the sound problems I had.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's automatically part of the Steam download, as was, but it's no longer there, so who knows. Two novels entitled Hard Crash and Profit's Power published, expanding on the story and the premise, introducing Unreal, and also a book called Escape to Napali: A Journey to the Unreal, was published June 2014, an adventure to the world of Unreal, written by Caitlin Tremblay and Alan Williams. That's always a good sign when a book has two authors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Three word review. We only got the one from our social media. Follow us at Kana Rince, and it's from Cantanar's Ghost, who goes with Hard as Gnarlies, which is not bad. Uh, I understand, yes, we probably won't have had that many play-alongs for this show for multiple reasons. Uh, In summary, I'll go first. I do not recommend you (laughs) playing this game in 2023. I had a heck of a time playing through it. It was a bit of a slog, to be honest. Uh, The graphical wow factor has completely disappeared for me, coming to it for the first time in 2023, which means, although I really love playing, and we haven't used this term, uh, these so-called boomer shooters on the whole um the dooms the quakes the and the and the modern retro revival versions such as proteus uh this one for me has not aged well in in many design areas uh chiefly navigation and combat which are two of the kind of major (laughs) pillars tenets of of the genre um i'm not saying like every single second was torture uh only about Half of the twenty hours I spent playing it was torture. Um, there were certainly some times where I was like, "Oh, that's quite a good bit of level design," or "That's quite a neat puzzle," or "That was quite a fun fight." But, uh, but actually, yeah, the, the 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 puny weapons, spongy enemies, uh irritating features like the one we mentioned ages ago near the top of the show, which is like you can accidentally press a button or a lever twice, and Reclose your access to the rest of the level without realizing what you've done and you just don't yeah there were a couple of times i literally restarted a whole level because i had no idea kind of what corner i'd painted myself into navigation wise um stuff like that yeah there's there was too much to it that i found frankly a bit uh infuriating to play in 2023 but it's okay because uh although I'm obviously a great advocate of uh, digital preservation, it's great. This game's been taken off the market, so you can't accidentally (laughs) buy it. Damn. (laughs) Yeah, that's harsh, I know. I'm just being silly. Uh, Chris?
2: I can only mirror the sentiments of Leon in terms of playing Unreal now. I don't recommend it, unfortunately. Um, It hasn't held up uh, the experience is a slog. It reminds me of the somewhat the same kind of emotions I had when I played Black, another
0: FPS. Oh, God,
2: that was yeah. C- celebrated upon its release, and then when you actually play it now, it suffers some design issues, bullet um, sponges. Oh, my God,
0: in- the worst. It's just awful. The awful. worst sponges of any FPS I've ever played, I would say. Yeah. That's a different game, though.
2: <laughs> it is. It is. Sorry to evoke that memory, but uh, it, just, it just brought back memories of that. Yeah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Unreal is a very important game. Yes, it's it's part of the puzzle, part of the link that goes back from the evolution of uh FPSs, and that's why it exists. Made lots of mistakes, but it also solved a lot of the problems that we didn't know we had. For that, I'm great, very grateful for. Great, uh, uh, Unreal, and indeed, it's it's you know follow on. But not so much Unreal 2, that's a discussion for another time, but Unreal Tournament and uh, how it brought about the arena shooter, so to speak. So, in summary, is Unreal a good game? It was. Not anymore. And it's not something I would recommend, but it's very important, and I thank um, Epic for making it.
0: And the engine, perhaps more important than the game, even oh, the engine now. Or, that it became. Yeah, I mean that's the real legacy. <laughs> but anyway, isn't
1: it? we talked about the fact that the last Unreal yeah. tournament game was fifteen years ago, and they only had ten mm-hmm. years between the original Unreal and then the last Unreal tournament. It's like, yeah, but they're gonna—the name is gonna live on forever in a million other games now. So, oh yes, yeah. yeah, they probably won't do any more Unreal because it's probably not really in their interest to do more Unreal. But oh well.
0: See us home, John. Yes.
1: So, so unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be any more any more sort of glowing in terms of recommendations than, than either of you guys were. Um, I think that this is a very clear um, lesson for me that uh, nostalgia is nostalgia. And although I'm very, very, very fond of this game, it's kind of more the the everything else that was tied into it as much as the game. Um, and I have enjoyed replaying it. I still had a good, um, a good time with it, but a lot of that was kind of, I think, sort of going through it again and remembering things and uh, remembering some of the level design and remembering how some of the puzzles worked out and like where hidden items and stuff were. And also just kind of transporting myself back to, you know, how I felt. When I was playing this twenty between twenty and twenty five years ago the the sort of the multiple times that i've played bits of it and stuff in the past, I think that I was just kind of riding high on on a lot of that that nostalgia as much as enjoying the game um i I feel like it's it's notable that I played this and i didn't really use a walkthrough i didn 't like follow a guide apart from it in a few specific spots where I actually got stuck but every every level I kind of had. The, the guide in the background um, just opened oh, yeah. up on a website just in case I needed to go to it. And I think it's notable that when I opened up each page and you see how big or how small the scroll bar <laughs> on the side of the page is, there were bits where yeah, I was so much of me just going, oh, thank God, this looks like it's going to be a slightly shorter level. Or somewhere you see the yeah, bar shrink same. and be like oh no it's going to be one of those very convoluted probably dark dungeon <laughs> or something levels
0: all those guys uh, all those guys insist on telling you exactly where every single there is, is also though, that
1: i mean this seems a little bit yeah um, i i found in in the um in sort of messing about doing this i remembered that i'd emailed uh the guy who used to be the webmaster for that unreal sp website to ask about a couple of questions um and i found the found the email that i received back from him from 2002 Mm. it's like one of the oldest emails that i still have in my inbox and i was talking about the fact that i picked up a picked up a shield belt or something or one of the more uncommon power-ups and it actually like it added to the shield total but then started draining so over a period of time it kind of disappeared and there's his response talking Mm. about like oh yeah you see it seems like you probably need to patch it but don't do it until you finish the game because if you patch it now, you'll wipe all your saves off it. Um, but I think <laughs> the the thing that really stuck to me was I mentioned in this email that I'd picked up, the, um, picked up this extra power-up thing and it had taken me from having like 250 shields in total to having like 450. And yeah, I, I read that again. I was like, this entire playthrough of this game that I've done this time, not following a guide, finding every single thing. I've never got that powerful. I never had more than 200 shield points ever in this playthrough. And a lot of the time I was running around with nothing. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that, yeah, potentially I kind of think back on this from my playthrough 20 years ago. And I kind of, it probably wasn't that long, but I remember thinking of it as like that summer when I was playing Unreal. And in my mind, it's like, you know, the entire school holidays or something I was probably playing. it. And maybe, maybe it was longer than my recent sort of 16 or 17 hour playthrough. but. Either way, I think it's it's a difficult recommendation now with everything that goes into it. I mean, it's a game that I, I have a lot of affection for and I always will. And I'm very, very glad that I managed to pull off that replay 20 years down the line and have finally played the the expansion pack. And I've always owned copies of Unreal 2 on the PC and I think on the Xbox as well, the original Xbox it came out for. And I've always wanted to play it, but always heard that it was an absolute stinker but now having played it played the original game again i'm kind of intrigued to at least dip into it and see what's so bad I, I kind of vaguely remember looking at pictures on the back of the box in 2004 and thinking that somehow the screenshots looked worse than the original game looked 6 years prior to that so i'm kind of i don't know, maybe it's maybe it's a bad idea it's not like we're ever going to cover it on the podcast but
0: i was going to say you can make that pod on your own <laughs> yeah if you want, I, don't, but... I don't i don't
1: think that that's going <laughs> to happen somehow um, and I'm not sure whether we'll ever actually, you know, pull pull the resources together to touch on the Unreal tournament games because they're kind of a bit convoluted mm-hmm. and might be a difficult difficult pod to do, especially because there's about six of them and some of them are not very good. Um, but yeah, like basically, it, it's a difficult recommend. But I have I've very much enjoyed the opportunity to go back to it. So I'm I'm glad that yeah. uh, glad that I was given that opportunity. Thank you. Oh.
0: <laughs> bless you you don't need to thank me um but it, it does feel sort of just that uh occasionally one of the team nominates a game that i have to play that i don't enjoy because the, the amount of times it's happened the other way around <laughs> so, yeah not that anyone's forced into anything i should point out listener we all volunteer for each uh each t- subject anyway uh, thank you both uh, just remains for me to thank john and chris and our editor jay our correspondents and of course as always you for listening next time in issue 566 we're back to metroid we're back back to the original metroid after a, in a manner of speaking with zero mission